Thank you, Mark. You are a tremendous blessing to me and to so many. And uh, Elaine as well. I think you're a blessing to her. I know I'm such a blessing to my wife, right? So, wonderful. How are you doing? Could you use a little good news this morning? Could I show you some pictures first? Because I want to I show you some pictures of my family. It's just exciting to be able to, to... Do you ever go to a stranger's home and they just take hours to show you through, through photo albums? I want to do that this morning. Uh, There's a picture, actually, of our cat, or our dog. Uh, this is our cat. How many are traumatized? This is our dog, the pre-rinse cycle. Uh, this is my parents, a beautiful picture of them on a Sunday afternoon. Out, my mother would always balance out the tractor. Uh, can you see that? And here we are in the backyard, our family. That's our dog who was laughing at the time, if you could imagine. And nor uh, normally we're more like this. This is us. And last November, our son Stephen married Dallas, uh, the third of our children to be married. She's a red deer gal, and uh, she is a world record-holding power lifter, so she carried him across the threshold. It was a beautiful moment, you know. I said, Dallas, I can't lift much, but I can do diddly squats. Huh? How many can do diddly squats? How many don't know what that is? Vast quantities of you. Well, I am thankful to be alive this morning. I don't know about you. I... Um, my, my wife told me that I snore, and uh, I said, thank you, thank you. I, I thought, here is a woman who at some point in the night made a decision to, make me, to, to let me live. Maybe you have experienced that, so thank you. It was 34 years ago last month that Ramona, clearly medicated, said, I do. And it has been a wild ride. It really has. We had no idea how good a sense of humor was going to be in marriage, in life. I said, honey, I don't know what you want. Maybe some of you, a few of you are married, guys. I asked Siri, what does a woman want? Has not stopped talking for two weeks. That's how it is. And then we started having children. Some of you, how many have been children? At some point, yes, you remember this. Wait, kids, are, they're a lot of work. We had three in three years. They were born nine months and seven minutes apart. It was really fast. And, and kids are a lot of work. We were going past the Comfort Inn. Saw that beautiful sign. Have you seen that sign, Kids Stay Free? Wonderful sign. We dropped them off. We just picked them up the following Thursday. It's, it's great. Well, how are you doing? How many of you are a little bit tired? Okay, how many are too tired to raise your hands? All right, maybe in worship or, or in response to my question. Uh, you're saying, Calloway, there are no dumb questions, but that comes really close. I am a student. Tired? I know tired. I have not slept since a week ago last Tuesday. Life is tough. How many are stressed out? Come on. How many are using Pepto-Bismol as gravy? Here are some of you, a couple of you. All right, you've got to stop that. How many are a little bit, a little bit anxious? How many are cranky? Come on. Come on. That's an oxymoron, cranky Christian, isn't it? Huh? That's like Microsoft works. It's an oxymoron. You guys shouldn't be cranky. But maybe you crawled out of bed this morning and uh, you looked like this. Did you? Maybe you were in the tub and you crawled out and uh, you'd prefer to look like this. But no, no, you have too many of these in your life. These kind of, how many have known a person like this? You have one in your life, maybe. All right, you'd like more of these kind of people. But no, no, and maybe you came to chapel this morning feeling like this guy. 
We want you to leave feeling a little bit more like that guy, don't you think? I think it's the medication is what's going on there, but uh, it's cool. I don't know. In all seriousness, maybe you are discouraged. If so, you're in the right place today. Laughter is good, isn't it? I am known as a humorist. I uh, use humor to communicate a serious message, but being a humorist is not getting any easier, my friends. It is not. I'm telling a good, a good sense of humor is the first thing to go in a politically correct society. It's amazing how offended most people are. It's just sad. I, I, I told a joke. I do a radio program, four minutes a day, that goes all over the place. And, and recently I told a joke um, that I thought was funny. Chrissy, little girl, crammed up, crammed up, climbed up on Grandpa's lap and, and, and just looked up at Grandpa and said, Grandpa, make a noise like a frog. Grandpa looked down at Chrissy and said, why do you want me to make a noise like a frog? Chrissy said, well, Grandpa, or, or my daddy said that, that when, when you croak, we can all go to Disneyland. <laughs> See, I thought that was funny. Did you think that was funny? I hope you thought that was funny. Someone didn't. They wrote me a, nose, uh, a note. It, it just said simply, uh, there's nothing funny about death. I'm sorry you think there is. Have you met that kind of a person? Maybe you have. I don't know. I told about a single gal who, who, who passed away, and at her funeral, she specified no male pallbearers. She said, they wouldn't take me out while I was alive. I don't want them taking me out while, I was, while I'm dead. I got a three-page letter in response to that, letting me have it. Oh, it's funny. You know, here's the deal. Few people my age have attended more funerals than I have, thanks to Huntington's disease, which is in our family, and cancer, and a, a host of other unwelcome guests. The joy of the Lord has been our strength. A great sense of humor is absolutely essential in life. I, 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 please tell me, promise me you will not get into to, to ministry if you do not have a sense of humor. If you look so sour, you look like you could suck buttons off a sofa. Please, don't get into ministry. We don't need more of you. You will not survive. You need a good sense of humor. You do. And if you're going to be a parent, you are going to need no sense of smell. Let me tell you, that's the way it is. You've got to laugh or you will die in ministry or in parenting. Here are some things that I have learned as a parent, okay? Some of you are getting ready for those days one day. Uh, a three-year-old can outscream 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. That's one thing I've learned. That's true. A single pane window will not stop a baseball hit by a ceiling fan. It's just true, okay? I have seen this myself. Peas are easily removed from a two-year-old's nose. Crab apples, however, <laughs> require more effort. When you hear a flushing sound followed by the words, uh-oh, it's too late. It's just too late. Always look in the oven before you turn it on. If you have kids one day, okay? The motor in a ceiling fan is not strong enough to rotate. A 42-pound boy wearing Batman underwear and a Superman cape. However, it will rotate a birthday cake fast enough to leave icing on all four walls. Trust me on these things, okay? In Sarasota, Florida, a lady came out of a grocery store. She had a grocery a little bag with her in her purse, and, and she went out to her car in the parking lot, and she found her car. But in her car, she found four young guys. They were about to steal her car. She absolutely freaked out. What would you do? She dropped the groceries. She grabbed from her purse a handgun. She waggled it in the open window. She yelled, get out of my car. I've got a gun. I know how to use it. Imagine. These guys did. They freaked out. They went running across the parking lot like a herd of cats. They were gone. 
She sounds brave, but she was shaking. She got into her car. She put the keys into the ignition. They wouldn't fit. She was shaking so, so badly. She looked over on the front seat was a basketball, and on the floor was a six-pack of beer, and she couldn't remember putting them there. And suddenly she realized, I'm in the wrong car. <laughs> so she found her own car. She drove herself to the police station and turned herself in. The officer taking down the information was laughing too hard to write. <laughs> All he could do was point to the end of the room where four young men were standing. <laughs> reporting a crazy old lady. She's out there. She's got a gun. She knows how to use it. Find her. Find her. And she discovered that if you're going to have a senior moment, you might as well make it very, very memorable. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get feeling like that old gal. I look around me and I think, is there any hope? Is there any good news? I mean, really, frankly, you know, we older people, we, we worry about things. I know you don't yet at all, right? We worry about a generation that doesn't know which way to point its hats or how high to pull its pants. We, we wonder about that. And maybe you too, you watch the news and you think, Lord, the inmates are running the penitentiary. What's going on? Where is God in all of this? Our esteemed president asked me, a humorist, to take on a very serious topic. El Elyon, God Most High, one of the names of God. So I've been reading verses, Mark. You'd be so proud of me. Psalm 83, 18, you alone are the most high over all the earth. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Don't you love those verses? Daniel 7, the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Psalm 78, they remembered that God was their rock, that God Most High was their Redeemer. And as I read these verses, one word kept coming back to me as I read. It was hope, hope. Maybe you say, you know, we're learning in class about all those concepts. You know, God is powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. But, but let me be honest, Calloway. I made the mistake of watching the news. I, I had a phone call from home. And I'm wondering, is there any hope? Where is the good news? Amid all the terror and the calamity, where's the hope? And what is the hope? What does it look like? Let me tell you what hope is not. Hope is not optimism or wishful thinking. If you say, Phil, I really hope that the flames meet the Oilers in the playoffs, that is not hope. That is delusion. That is what that is, friends. I'm sorry to break it to you. Hope is only as good as the object that you place it in. Biblical hope is the confident expectation that what God Most High promises, He is going to do. This morning I want to tell you a few stories, if that's okay with you, to give each of us a tiny glimpse of how powerful our great God is. One thing that amazes me is that this Most High God answers prayer. Have you ever thought about this, tried to wrap your mind around it? He wants to hear from us. Wow. He listens to us. You say, okay, you lost me already. I've been praying for years. I've got to tell you, nothing happens. My prayers go about eight feet, and then, like a balloon, they hit the floor. I'm with you. As a kid, I didn't have much use for prayer. I remember my mother taught me to pray. You know the first prayer I ever heard my mother pray? Dear God, thank you, he's in bed. Because I was a crazy kid. I didn't have much use for prayer. I prayed. She taught me how to pray if I should die before I wake. Do you remember that one? 
Huh? I pray the Lord my soul to take. I, I'm thinking, what am I going to die of? I'm four. How, how will I die? You know? Hardening of the arteries, a heart attack, kidney stones, what? Gallstones, osteoporosis. And then my older brother threatened to kill me, and my prayers took on new urgency. And that's the way it is in life, you know? I used to wonder, how can old people, I mean, really old people, probably 40, how can they pray so much? And then I started to experience life on my own. I, um, when I lose hope, I forget what God has done in my own life. My mother prayed for me every day for 50 years. She saw a Gap t-shirt come and she knew what it stood for. God answers prayer. An atheist friend of mine asked Calloway, how, how can you believe? How can you? I said, how can I not? During my short lifespan, I have seen unmistakable answers to prayer. Trust me, if you have four hours, let's talk sometime. My 34-year marriage is a miracle. I have done and said some of the stupidest things, things you would not believe that I have said and done. I, 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 I said one time, if it makes you feel better, I'll pretend you're right. <laughs> boo me. Come on, boo me. Don't be saying that. One time, I did not speak to my wife during the Christmas season for three entire days. I was, I was determined not to do it. I can't remember why by the end of, I don't know what started this, but it brought a whole new meaning to singing Silent Night. It did. <laughs> Dumb things. I, by the way, a new study, but you'll find this interesting, has just shown that, that women who are just a little bit overweight live longer than the man who pointed out to them. I, I, I found that. Just, just saying. By the way, if you should get married and one day your wife says to me, honey, does this dress make me look husky? Okay, look a little fat? Don't just say no. Be appalled. Be horrified. Be revolted at the very thought that this could enter the realm of the possible. Jump backward. Leap backward. Put one hand on either side of your face. Squeeze inward. Gasp for breath. Weep if necessary. <laughs> okay, don't. All right, forget any of that advice. But you know what? My wife has prayed for me every single day for 35 years. Wow. And we have watched God do a good thing in our marriage. She is a saint. I call her Mother Ramona. She is one hot mama, let me tell you. Mother Ramona. My wife is a picture to me of God's amazing grace. God answers prayer. I used to recycle every cigarette butt I could find in this little town of Three Hills when I was a kid. God plugged his nose and he got a hold of me. He's that good. I was terrified of God, uh, of, of, well, of God too, but of public speaking. God said, that's no problem. I can work with that. He continually uses the most underqualified to do his work because we know we can't do it without him and when good things happen, we get down on our knees and we give him thanks we know who gets the credit. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. You say, uh, that's me, Phil. I, I'm fearful. I've got more fears than Heinz has pickles. Hey, I can outfear you. You want to know how bad my fear is? It's so bad that I have been memorizing Scripture. Really? Yes. Even the message. Does that count as Scripture? Yes. Okay. Philippians 4. I, I memorized this recently. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, 
a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. Isn't that good? Commit it to memory if you're struggling with worry and fear. The more we pray, the more we see the awesome power of God at work in our lives. You know, there is nothing quite like fear to suck the hope and the joy from our lives. Anyone fear? Can I tell you my leading fear lately? Have you ever played charades at Christmas time where you act things out? It, 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 here's my fear. Having a heart attack while playing the game charades. Have you ever thought of this? Huh? You're going to start thinking of it now, aren't you? Huh? You're clutching your chest and they're guessing. They're guessing. Uh, 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 chest. Chest. Hands or chest. Heart. Uh, uh, honor. Uh, 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 chest. Chest of drawers. Underwear. No, he's flopping on the floor like a fish. There he is. It, 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 uh, heart attack. Heart attack, Bob. Very well done. Get up. I hope that doesn't become your leading fear now. But we can give way to fear. You know, uh, it, it's been very interesting. In conversation with Christians as I travel, two things keep coming up that they're very concerned about. They're very worried about. They want to talk about. We would far rather talk about these things than, than our awesome God. We would. The first one is politics. They want to talk about politics. I won't tell any Donald Trump jokes up here today. I just simply won't. I promise. But do you ever wonder? Do you ever worry? Do you? In May, I had the opportunity to go to Ottawa. I was asked to come out there by the prayer breakfast committee and speak. They do a, an evening before the prayer breakfast. Uh, it's a Wednesday morning, the prayer breakfast, and the night before they do something for, for leaders from across the country. And uh, it was great, but it was, it was an interesting evening. You will, many of you remember it. It was a Tuesday night. And uh, they came over to me, someone came over to me and said, that it's a little delayed, go ahead and enjoy your dinner a little longer. Uh, you're not going to be speaking for a little bit. Uh, because something is going on in the House of Commons. There's a, a, a vote that has delayed things. And so, hey, no problem. And uh, about one minute later, the guy came back over and he said, the MPs are coming in. Something happened. We don't know what. 30 seconds later, a guy comes over and he says, it's all over social media. Our Prime Minister lost it. That's what he said. He went across the House of Commons. He manhandled someone. And, and, and so we're, we're dealing with all of this stuff. And it made the vote end right there. And so in came the MPs. And I got up to speak. I talked about living so the preacher wouldn't have to lie at your funeral on integrity in leadership. And I told a little joke. But I used to tell my mother, uh, one time I told her, I said, you know, that bananas are the politician's fruit. They're yellow, they're crooked, and they hang out in bunches. And uh, the, did you get it? You didn't get it? All right, they did. They laughed. I got some forks thrown at me. Um, it was fine. They, they laughed. But my mother, when I told her, I said, Sonny, Sonny, you know what? We pray for our politicians. Well, that night, unbeknownst to me, something happened. Jack Murta, I'll show you a picture in a moment of Jack, told me he oversees the event. He later told me that the prime minister sat up in bed reading the Bible. You've heard of it. He did. It's a good place to go when you've blown it, isn't it? You're going to find plenty of company there. And the next morning, the first sitting prime minister since 1989 got up and he read from the Bible verses that he had chosen himself. Whoop, I'm going backwards. There we are. There's the prime minister of Canada reading. I'm sitting right there. I just shot a little picture. This is what he read from Romans 12. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Then, according to Mr. Murta, officials forgot to usher the prime minister from the room. That was supposed to happen. So he sat down to the right of Jonathan Aiken as Jonathan got up to speak. Now, you probably don't know that name, but a few years back, you, you would have if, if you were alive back in the late 1800s. No, he was in 1999. Jonathan Aiken, very prominent uh, member of parliament in Britain, was convicted of perjury. Divorce followed, bankruptcy, and an 18-month prison sentence. And Jonathan got up, and he began to tell his story. Keep in mind, our prime minister is listening right here. And it was an amazing story of God's grace. Jonathan in prison said, I, I, I was not doing well spiritually, but I, I, I had a, a roommate by the name of Patty, an Irish guy. He said most of the prisoners were Irishmen. I think he was joking. He said, uh, one day, Patty came up to me, and he just said, hey, Jonathan, uh, you've been such a great cellmate. I, I, I'm wondering, I want to give you a gift. A gift? Here, what do you have? So he wiggled underneath the bed, and he pulled a, a box of hardcore pornography out and handed it to Jonathan. And Jonathan said, no, no thanks. And, and he got a little upset with this. He said, well, why won't you take my, my gift? He said, you know, I, I've been reading the Bible lately, and stuff is happening. And Patty said, well, what do you mean? So what do you do? He said, well, I just, I just read the Bible, and then I pray. Wow, can I join you? And in that cell, these two men began reading the Bible and praying, and they came to faith in Jesus. Later on, other guys started coming to them. They saw the change. This, can, can, we, can, can we meet with you? And of course they could. In that prison, they got permission and began reading God's Word and praying together. Friends, I am not a political guy, but I am more aware than ever that I don't have to agree with someone for a sovereign, all-powerful God to be at work in them. Aren't you glad? We need to be praying for our leaders. God is at work in places we have no idea He's at work in. Today, according to a, a Chinese minister that I just met and spent some time with him and his wife, 6,000-member church in China, he said, there are more Christians than communists in China, and the government is very, very concerned. God is at work, my friends. Politics, the second thing that people will tell me they, they are fearing, they are talking about, is the fear of Muslims. A guy sent me a video. I think he was shaking when he sent it to me. It was on YouTube. You can watch it. Maybe you have. It shows a globe, and it talks about what's happening and how by the year 2059 or whatever it is, It'll just be black. Islam will have covered the globe. I called my friend Carl Medeiros, who works for 25 years, worked with Muslims in the Middle East, and still continues to do that. I said, Carl, have you seen that video? He said, oh yeah, I have. What do you think of that? This is what he said. I bet God is really, really worried. <laughs> do you think God is up there biting his nails? Do you? Our sovereign, all-powerful God? No, he is not. It is amazing to see what God is doing in the Middle East. Awesome things are happening, friends. I, uh, more Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus Christ 
than at any other time in history. In Indonesia alone, two million Muslims last year, one every 13 seconds. There is a, a website put up by Muslims very concerned saying, please, help us. They're trying to get their youth to take a more active role. They are coming to Christ. ISIS is driving them away by, by the thousands, and many of those are coming to faith in Jesus. I love Deuteronomy 4.39. The Lord, He is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Amen? Amen? Carl told me just after uh, 9-11, he was in Basra, Iraq, checked into a hotel, and four men were there, four Muslim men. And they looked at him and they got talking with him. They said, what are you doing here? And he used a great line. He said, you know what? I know that Jesus grew up in this area. I just want to find out all I can about Jesus. Do you know about him? Can you tell me? They were eager to talk. They sat down. They began to talk. One of them said, would you tell us a story? That's often what happens in the Middle East. And Carl began to tell them the story of the prodigal son. When he finished, one of the men had tears. He said, do you know something? He said, Jesus told that story. When I was a little boy, a man came through our village, and he gave us cassette tapes. You don't know what those were, but cassette tapes. And he said, I, I wore mine out. They were all stories of Jesus, stories Jesus told. And that story was on there. And do you know something else? Jesus has a book out. This guy said, my daddy told me, Jesus has a book out. And if ever you can find that book, find that book. Get it. Do you have one? Carl said, I, I had hair standing up on the back of my neck. I used to have that happen when I had hair. It was great. He was so excited. He ran and he grabbed one. He only had one left, and he handed him a gospel of Mark. The man took it. He kissed it. He held it to his forehead, and he ran from the room. Ten minutes later, as he was still, Carl was still talking to the other men, this guy came back with the book. He said, this is the book. I showed it to my daddy. Do you have more? Carl said, I don't have any more with me, but I will find them. God is doing amazing things. He is God in heaven. There is no other. Are you aware of this? Are you filling your minds with this? I want you to meet Sophie and Clara. Clara was born a few months ago. These are my grandkids. I held these little girls in my arm, and there's nothing quite like this birth of a child to make you think, what a crazy world we have brought you into. And then I began to sing to these little girls right there in the hospital a song from back in the 80s that Twyla Paris used to sing. You don't know any 80s songs, do you? It just goes like this. This is a time for faith and determination. God is in control. This is no time for fear. We believe that His children will not be forsaken. There is one thing that has always been true. It will be true forever. God is in control. We will choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside Him we know. God is in control. Here's the result of that. Uh, I think it was my singing had to be, little Clara. But you say, Calloway, God seems far away. I don't understand what he's up to. Can I say, I don't either so often. It's been quite a summer for us. This is Rebecca Cron. That's not Rebecca. This is our granddaughter. This is Rebecca. We traveled so much together, my wife and I and her, producer of our Laugh Again radio show, one of the sweetest, most competent girls you would ever meet, loved Jesus. She was funny. My goodness. 
We laughed. Wow, have we laughed. There's a picture of us in Israel during a tour that we did. And one month ago, Rebecca was taken from us in a car crash on Highway 1 near Chilliwack, British Columbia. We're still kind of numb. She was like a daughter to Ramona and I, so quick to laugh, so ready with encouragement, a lover of Jesus, a lover of people. I talked with her mother, Lydia, just after this car crash. And Lydia said, you know what, we went to see the place where she had passed away. She said there were blackberry bushes everywhere beside Highway 1 and just two trees. And she said, you know, we got thinking. There was so much room for error there. She could have missed those trees. She said she swerved to miss an accident that happened right in front of her. And into the ditch she went and hit one of those trees and she's gone. I said, Lydia, what do you do with that? This is what she said. We believe that God knows. That he is sovereign. He holds the keys of death, the Bible says. We don't understand, but we trust that he knows what he's up to. Do you wonder what he's up to? In 1921, <clears throat> David Flood and his wife Svea left for Sweden to take the gospel of Jesus to a remote tribe in Africa. The chief said, no, you can't come here. So they built a mud hut a few miles away. They got down on their knees and they began to pray for a breakthrough. None came. Svea led a young boy to Jesus, but that was it. Pregnant, Svea endured malaria, gave birth to a little girl, and died. Her grieving husband, David, dug a rough grave and buried his 27-year-old bride. He handed his daughter to another missionary couple. He said, I'm going back to Sweden. I have lost my wife. I can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. The little girl grew up in South Dakota. Her parents named her Aggie. Aggie married and gave birth to two children. One day, a Swedish Christian magazine appeared in her mailbox. She never knew why or who it came from, but it arrived. She couldn't read it, but a photo stopped her cold. A grave, a white cross, the words Svea Flood. The story she found out when she went and visited a Swedish person was of a missionary who had come long ago. The birth of a baby, the death of a young mother, and of one little African boy she had led to Jesus. The boy had grown up and built a school. Gradually, he won all the students to Jesus. The chief, too. There were 600 Christians in the village now, all because of her parents, David and Svea Flood. For their 25th, Aggie and her husband were given vacation, uh, a vacation to Sweden, where Aggie learned that her dad, David Flood, had remarried, fathered four more children, and given his life over to alcohol. If he heard God's name, he flew into a rage. In a rundown building, Aggie found her father, the one-time missionary. She climbed three sets of stairs, and there he was. Seventy-three now, he suffered from diabetes. Cataracts covered both eyes. Aggie fell to his side, crying, Papa, I'm your little girl, the one you left in Africa. I never meant to give you away, he said. I just couldn't handle things. It's okay, Papa. God took care of me. He stiffened. God forgot us all, he said. Papa, Aggie continued, you didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you brought to the Lord 
grew up to win his whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted kept growing and growing. Today, there are at least 600 African Christians because you were faithful. Papa, Jesus loves you. He never hated you. And David flood broke. Tears of sorrow and repentance flowed down his face. He recommitted his life to Jesus. Within a few weeks, he was gone. Years later, Aggie and her husband attended a conference, get this, in London, England. A report was given from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where Aggie was born. The speaker represented 110,000 believers. Afterwards, Aggie asked him, have you ever heard of David and Svea Flood? His eyes grew wide. Yes, madam. Svea Flood led me to Jesus when I was a little boy. They had a baby girl. I don't know whatever happened to her. Do you know? I'm that girl, said Aggie. I'm that girl. In time, Aggie and her husband went to Africa where they were welcomed by throngs of villagers and Aggie was escorted to her mother's graveside and that white cross. There she knelt. There she gave thanks. Friends, I don't pretend to understand the ways of God. That would be like an aardvark understanding the internet. It is so big. But I do believe that God is at work. When it doesn't seem to be so, He is at work, my friend. That seeds of hope you are planting today are going to bear fruit. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not next Wednesday. Maybe not during your lifetime. But they will. So be faithful, my friend. Would you be faithful? Pray. Trust. Find out what God is up to and get on board. Don't jump from the train when you're in the middle of a tunnel. Please, hang in there. Nothing is going to stop his great name from being proclaimed. Would you stand to your feet with me? <clears throat> Psalm 78, 35, they remembered that God was their rock, that God Most High was their Redeemer. Do you like that? I love that. Amen. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know what's going on at home in your studies, but I do know this. God knows and God cares, and He is with you, my friend. In the darkest time of your life, may this hope, this assurance fill you with joy. Thank you, Father, for each one here, for your work in their lives. Thank you for these precious students. Would you strengthen them? Would you give them wisdom? Would you fill them with the best news ever that your Son is risen, that we get to serve him the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, amen.